Welcome to the Queer SLP, a podcast for the LGBTQ plus professional. Join two chatty speech language pathologists as we deep dive into queer culture, evidence-based research, and work-related issues. The Queer SLP's mission is to establish a sense of community, discuss informative content, and provide a space for other proud professionals to share their stories. Welcome, everyone, to the Queer SLP. My name is Hector, and my pronouns are he, him. And I'm Natalie. My pronouns are she, her. And we have a special guest today. We have Lauren, if you can introduce yourself. Yes, my name is Lauren Sharp-Payne. My pronouns are she, her, and I am a speech pathologist in Richmond, Virginia. Woohoo! All right. So we are here today to learn a little bit more about Lauren as part of her Proud Professional episode. So Lauren, uh, why don't you start from the beginning? Tell us a little bit about your upbringing and, and how you came to find yourself in the field of speech language pathology. I was born and raised in North Carolina, so traditional Southern Black upbringing. I'm an only child, so I think that definitely shapes my experiences as an adult, for sure. In terms of like how I got into speech and my story with speech, it's funny because I actually wanted to be a lawyer up until high school. And I was introduced to speech in my 12th grade sociology course. And I was like, okay, I got to change my major. I can't do law. I don't know why I wanted to be a lawyer. I think it was just the money. <laughs> and then I changed my major and the rest is history. Like how did speech pathology come up in sociology class? That right. I, my brain is trying to wrap itself around that. Yeah. So we were watching this video about a young girl named Jeannie. I don't know if you've heard the story, no. but she was like locked away in her house for 12 years. Her parents didn't interact with her. She had no human interaction. And so 12 years later, they found her in a cage in her house. Her parents had abandoned her. And so she didn't have any verbal communication. And they had her work with a linguist and a speech pathologist. And I was just like so amazed. Like, I can work and help people speak and you know help them communicate. And so eventually she was able to regain language. She was able to use sign and like AAC and some verbal language. And I was like, I'm sold. What? I, do that. That's I need to look that up. Yes. Why? Maybe I do know it. Yeah, Jeannie. You probably have heard it. I mean, now that you describe the story, it sounds familiar to me. Um, and yeah. it's just so heartbreaking. But it also, I think, just shows how much you want to help people. Mm -hmm. You know, that you saw someone's pain in their story and was just like, that's what I need to do. Yeah. And I, I think that's what's so beautiful about our profession is that we do help people in a very fundamental way. Definitely. Even though sometimes it's like, IEP paperwork, blah. <laughs> <laughs> the paperwork is definitely the worst part. So you went into basically your freshman year knowing that you're going into speech. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we've discussed this yet, but you work in geriatrics, right? Yeah. You're not in peds. Nope. I did for my CF, but not anymore. Oh, so tell us a little bit about that. Like, again, going from that story, like, how do you end up in geriatrics? Yeah. Like, so when I was in grad school, I wanted to work with Pete. So I applied to all these Pete's jobs as like a second year graduate student and completed my CF and about a year and a half after that with Pete's and quickly found out just like it wasn't for me. Like it was just not for me at all. I felt very burnt out. And mm. I give major props to those of you who work with Pete's. It just wasn't for me. And it didn't make me feel fulfilled. And that's really what I was looking forward to as a graduate student. Like, 
going to work and feeling fulfilled and like, I love this job. I can't wait to go back every day. And so I made the effort to transition to medical SLP, which is a pretty big feat after working with only kids. Yeah. Eventually got a job. I'm scared to do it. (laughs) It was tough. It's so completely different. (laughs) It's definitely tough. But I, you know, I took time to do like CEU courses and networking with other medical speech pathologists and eventually got a job in outpatient rehab and inpatient rehab PRN. And that's how I got here. So now I'm only doing outpatient rehab. What program did you go to for grad school? I went to Old Dominion University. So it's in Norfolk, Virginia. Oh, is that how you ended up in staying in Virginia? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. I have so many thoughts about transitioning from peace to medical. Because... <laughs> I mean, it blows my mind too. It was a journey. <laughs> like one that you were able to do it successfully. I feel mm-hmm. like that's like me. Like, honestly, mm-hmm. I'm so far removed from MBS you know, and like thinking about, you know, like all of that, where I'm like, yeah. uh, you know, I'm hoping like the word penetration is like, ah, you know? <laughs> like, I'm like, yes, ah, let's that was swallowing. And then, you know, so how did you, can you tell, like, I, I know there's other people out there that have like wondered, myself included, like, how did you, like, you said CEUs, networking, like, mm-hmm. can you, Tell us a little bit more about that process. Yeah. So I was on speechpathology.com and it's like a big CEU website. And I literally just watched everything that was medical. So like how to do a cranial nerve exam, evidence-based treatments for aphasia, like everything I could watch, I could put it on my resume. So that would help me stand out because Mm. I probably applied to like 15 medical jobs. And I just kept getting rejected. And then I was like, I got to do something to make myself stand out so that they know, like, this is serious for me. I don't want to work with kids. I want to work with adults. And I'm showing you by putting all this extra time into, you know, learning more about medical SLP. And I had a few friends that I went to grad school with that were still in the area. And so I talked with them about different positions that were open. And that's really how I was able to get that job in outpatient rehab. I had a friend who worked for the same company. So she talked to the boss about me and then she got my resume and I studied hard for my interview like they were asking me tell me how you perform a cranial nerve exam or what treatments would you use for this type of patient with aphasia it was definitely hard work it definitely wasn't easy in the moment it took a lot of time but I'm glad that I was able to get there I'm like racking my brain trying to remember a cranial nerve exam. <laughs> I see you nodding, Hector. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like ooh, 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 to, to, uh, <laughs> ooh, to touch and feel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what does that even mean now? I don't know. But yeah, that is, I applaud you for that. Yeah, like, nice. that is such a huge undertaking that, again, I'm, I mean, I'm sure people who are in medical going the opposite end feel the same way but there's Mm -hmm. just it feels like there's so much more liability like medically Mm -hmm. when I think about like you know we always say no one's gonna die from not getting speech therapy but it's like if you upgrade that diet too early (laughs) you know like that's that's you know so I'm like Um, but anyway how are you Hector (laughs) 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 that's so awesome though so are you in a, you said outpatient. So mm-hmm. have you been like, when you first started back in that position, did you have to kind of pay your dues with your scheduling and everything like that to kind of get into good positions? Yeah. So like my first job in outpatient rehab, I was the only speech therapist too. So that made it 
pretty difficult. The friend that I went to graduate school with was in acute care. So she was at the main hospital. I was in outpatient. I was the only speech therapist. There were like 10 PTs. There was one OT. <laughs> so <laughs> I, it was a lot of like self-study, reaching out to other people. Again, more CEUs, especially like with voice disorders. I feel like in grad school, I just looked at granulomas every day. Like I didn't, I didn't know right. how to do <laughs> I didn't know how to do voice therapy. So it was a lot of learning on my own just to make sure I was doing my best work for my patients. So now I'm in a different position, still in outpatient rehab. I work for the VA hospital. So I'm with all veterans now. And I feel much more confident in my abilities, you know, when it comes to medical SLP. So definitely took some time. Wow. Yep. so we've got a little timeline of like your career and i'm wondering on the other side of that like what's the timeline for your journey as a lesbian i mean i'm assuming that's your identity i'm sorry Um, (laughs) okay (laughs) you know like what's the timeline along this way were you you know were you out when you were younger did you come out when you were older where did that line up in your life line yeah like, I always knew, like, I wasn't attracted to men. Even as, like, like a young elementary school age child, I just knew. But I, I didn't know what it was. Like, I just mm-hmm. knew it wasn't mm-hmm. natural, quote, unquote. So mm-hmm. I went on to have boyfriends in, like, middle school and high school. And then after my last boyfriend, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm tired of pretending. So I started dating my first girlfriend at high school. In Uh, high school? Yes, in high school. In the South? Yeah. Well, I was in Virginia at that time. Oh. But I guess still, yeah. But I wasn't out. What was that like? Oh, you you were dating but not out? I wasn't out to, like, my family. Mm -hmm. And my friends knew, but that was about it. So I pretty much hid that part of me for years, like, even into college. Mm -hmm. And... I confided in my cousin one time. I was like, I have to tell you something. I'm a lesbian, but, you know, I haven't told my family. This is, you know, I just want to keep it between me and you. Long story short, she pushed me out the closet. So that was kind of where everything started shifting for me. It was very hard because, you know, coming from the South and from a Christian family, it was a little hard for them to accept initially. But after some years, you know, my family came to accept who I was and my wife. And so we're, you know, we're in a much better place. And I'm much more confident in who I am and in my sexuality. So, yeah, that's that's the quick and dirty. <laughs> so what I'm hearing is that it was kind of along the same track in a way that like you started dating women around the same time that you decided to become a speech therapist mm-hmm. sounds like a, a very gr- late high school is maybe a very growing time yeah. for you i hadn't even <laughs> thought about that yeah <laughs> so we talk about intersectionality here a lot so mm-hmm. like being black and being a lesbian and being a woman you know a cis mm-hmm. female tell us about that experience tell us not only individually in as related to your personal life but like even professionally yeah how do those layers intertwine that's a good question I feel like professionally I mean you know we know the field is overwhelmingly white I think three or four percent of SLPs are black and so I think sometimes we already get that stigma especially from patients not all patients but 
It's like, are, are you the speech therapist? Are you really the mm. speech therapist? Are you sure you're not the aide or the you know speech therapy assistant? And then you add on the fact that you're a lesbian. And so I know a lot of times in therapy, they'll see my ring, my wedding ring, and they're like, oh, what does your husband do? Or, you know, when did you, you and your husband get married? Or do you and your husband have kids? And I like when I first started working, I would just say, oh, he he does computer work. Like I would just go along with it. So a good well, I don't have a husband, but I just didn't want to get into that. Like it's already, I don't want to say problematic, but I already feel less confident because I am black, especially as a new clinician. And now I'm adding on this this other layer. So I'm a lesbian. And, you know, it's definitely shaped sometimes of how much of myself I share at work, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I work with really amazing people. So like my coworkers are very open and very accepting. So I don't have to worry about it there. And I would even say my patients now are very accepting and very, you know, down to earth. But as a new clinician working with kids and like talking to their parents, that's when a lot of times it would come up where you would say, oh, I have a wife. And they're like, oh, and then we just talk about something else. Well, it sounds like from my end that like every every time that another layer is added, it just adds to the anxiety and you want to have a relationship with your patients. And I just wonder how you felt about that Mm -hmm. when it was happening, when you were just making something up with a patient to kind of take away one of those layers. Mm -hmm. Um, How did that make you feel? It made me feel really bad. I felt like I wasn't being true to myself or my wife. Like I was like hiding her or ashamed of her, which I wasn't, but it was just in that moment, I felt like that's what I had to do. So they wouldn't stop coming to see me or they would just, I don't know, just, just have this negative connotation of me and who I was as a therapist. So I think it was a lack of confidence on my end too, especially, like I said, being a new SLP, a new medical SLP. And then I'm, you know, I'm trying to still get the hang of that. And I just didn't want any of that to interfere. And I think for me, I've noticed the growth in myself over these past few years when someone asks me what my husband does, if a patient asks me, I'm like, no, no, it's my wife. And then, you know, they'll say or do whatever, but I I have to be true to myself, even at work. And, you know, it's, it's everywhere. How long did it take you to get to that point where you started feeling like, okay, this is my truth. And I unapologetically present it? Maybe like four years. And mind you, I've only been practicing for four and a half. So it's it's taken me a long time. And it's it's crazy to me when I'm like, I'm talking about it now. And I've never actually like sat down and talked about this. But that's just it just seems completely ridiculous to me. Like, why wouldn't you be comfortable with yourself, Lauren? Like, you're this amazing person. You're a great speech therapist. Who cares if you're a lesbian? Doesn't impact your ability to provide speech therapy. So it's, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm kind of self-reflecting right now too on, on why it took me so long, why I was so uncomfortable too. I have a theory about that. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> What's your theory? <laughs> you know, we've had other people of color on this podcast. You know, we've spoken to Maurice and mm-hmm. you and myself. And I think about like the the people that have those multi-marginalized layers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we already have, SLPs are just notorious for having imposter syndrome as it is out the gate right Mm -hmm. you throw in this you throw in these layers of complexity that make you feel even more vulnerable as an individual on top of that imposter syndrome and you get this like (laughs) like it's like you have to again we talked about like having to prove yourself more not feeling even more 
mm-hmm. inadequate than you already do as a clinician. Right. Uh, now you're like, now how do I justify myself in this space mm-hmm. as a queer person, but also as a person of color, you know? Exactly. And so I think that's a call. Co- I hate saying it, but I think it's a common experience for people that have multiple layers of being part of different marginalized groups. Definitely. So that's my theory. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That That's it. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense to me, too. And, you know, as coming from a space as a white person, you know, I just think, oh, my gosh, like this podcast has brought me to new levels of understanding. It's just to think that there's like that additional hurdle, that additional layer that you have to overcome just to feel comfortable. It blows my mind. Mm hmm. And I hope that by talking about it, we can change some of that. So the future generations of up and coming baby SLPs don't feel that way. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Do you guys mind if I change the topic? Because I just am dying to know about about how you met your wife. Right. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) So we actually went to undergrad together. So we both went to Is Ultimate. She an SLP too? Oh no, no, she's in IT. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very different. Um, but yeah, we both went to Ultimate University for undergrad, and I actually like met her on Twitter. So I found her on Twitter at the time. I was like, on oh, Twitter, yeah, what? Yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, she's really cute. And then I sent her. A, was it? A, I guess it's a friend request on Twitter. And like, she accepted my friend request and I was like, oh, how are you? It's nice to meet you. I see you go to ODU. Let's meet up one day. And so we met up and the rest is history. Literally, I haven't, we've talked every day since December 9th, 2011. That was your first date? Yeah, it was like the first day we met. <laughs> we, it wasn't like a date. Yeah, I'm just like Twitter. <laughs> I never heard of a Twitter thing. Like yeah. I've heard of. Tinder, Craigslist, MySpace, you know, every other social media platform. Because I didn't, you know, like, like, whose post were you communicating through? You know, like, what tweet were you responding to each other on that that led to private conversation? Like, I'm just trying to think about how that even comes about. Like, was it a random, like, thread that you found her on? It must have been. Or maybe, because you know, like, people would retweet, and then you could see, yeah. So I think that's how I found her. Someone retweeted her. One of my friends retweeted her. And I was like, oh, she's really cute. So I did my dig uh, in and found her like that. Yep. I am missing out on a whole pop. I don't have Twitter. So <laughs> clearly <laughs> missing out on miss- <laughs> the opportunities here. Because yeah. I didn't think you could use it as a dating platform. So now I know. Yeah, but, uh, it works for me. And it leads to marriage. Mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Looking back on it. <laughs> And you've talked every day ever since. Mm-hmm. Oh. Every single day. So 2011, you were dating. And then when did you get married? We got married in 2018. Okay, so you had been in SLP for like a year or two um, at that point. When did I graduate? Yeah, about two years. Mm-hmm. I think we graduated at the same time. Yeah, 2016. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had to renew our CEUs this year. Yep. So. During a pandemic. Awesome. Right. I feel a little uh, old now. <laughs> I graduated in 2003. I just... Oh, okay. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. I can deal. <laughs> so, okay. So that's... I love it. So 2018, you were mm-hmm. married. Um, 
how was that? Like, as far as like family, everything, was everybody supportive? You know, like, was it hard coming out as a lesbian in a Black family? It was hard. Yeah. Especially because, like, in my family, I don't know if there's anyone else that's LGBTQ plus in my family. So I think it was just new for my family. They're like, you know, what is this? Why are you lesbian? Are you like, are you sure? Is this a phase? Mm -hmm. You know, all these questions. And I was very grateful because like my mom, my dad, my aunt, my grandma, they all were at my wedding. And I like every time I think about it, I still get really teary eyed because I didn't think that was going to happen. And so uh, same thing with my wife, you know, her family, her grandparents, everybody was there. So it was a journey, but everything all worked out. Oh, what a good Valentine's Day. We're we're recording on Valentine's Day, everyone, by the way. <laughs> Love is so wonderful. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. Um, fast forward to 2021. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're just jumping around the times, right? You remember 2011 to 2016 to 2018. Now we're at 2021. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're... Are you doing in-person Mm-hmm. Yep. Doing in-person and, and teletherapy. So oh, nice. and both. Mm-hmm. What's that like for geriatrics? I know with peds, it's like oh, the I worst thing imagine. in the world. <laughs> yeah, I hate it. <laughs> but. Yes, it's it's definitely taken some getting used to. I mean, I think that's for all of us. But it's actually going surprisingly well. It's some patients you have to kind of convince them like teletherapy it's okay like you're still gonna get the same therapy you would get if you came in person but it's just to keep you know keep us safe but I would say overall it's going pretty well I've gotten more used to it too so that helps I was just gonna ask are there any specific areas that are harder than others to treat like I could imagine like if you're supporting swallowing I mean outpatient but you know like Mm -hmm. how, how does that work for you with teletherapy yeah most of the swallowing patients I try to have them come in, especially if they're more involved. And we we have this system. It's called a synchrony. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's like a SEMG device. And we put electrodes on the throat and the patient swallows. We can measure how hard they're swallowing, making sure that, you know, they're doing the exercises correctly. But obviously for that, we have to have them come in person. And I use that with a lot of patients. So we try to have them come in. That way we can make sure they're doing the exercises correctly. And then a lot of times for follow-up, we'll do teletherapy. So, you know, just show me you're doing your exercises okay. I offer feedback that way. Typically, they'll have a caregiver with them. So that way I can communicate with the caregiver, make sure they're doing everything okay at home. So most of the time, they're in person unless it's like a follow-up. And they're pretty mild. I was wondering with the teletherapy, like if you felt like you wanted to do that going forward or if that was something that when things open up, hopefully, you know, soon, um, <laughs> that <laughs> that you want to leave teletherapy behind. I know how I feel about it. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I definitely prefer in person. I know with the population I work with, there are people who are sometimes in a whole different state or maybe three states away. So in, in those cases, I say, I would definitely continue, but I I definitely prefer in person. I like having that connection with the patient and, you know, sitting there and seeing their face. And I don't know, it's just different when it's in person. So I would prefer for things to go back to mostly in person. 
Me too. Yes. Same Z. <laughs> I just want my office back. Like I'm tired of having protocols everywhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like I have so many cells and castles and golden fristos everywhere. And I'm like, I don't know whose is what. Oh, um, And it's in my living room, you know? So it's just so depressing. I wanted to ask, you know, again, not to keep harping back on it, but like, do you feel pressure, you know, like, cause I know I feel this unspoken pressure, mm-hmm. you know, as a brown gay male and then trying to be a professional, mm-hmm. <laughs> like this identity crisis that I have with enoughness. Mm-hmm. What, how do you deal with that? Or is that even a thing for you? What are your thoughts? Yeah, that's definitely a thing. I, I know when I was going through my job search, especially trying to transition into medical SLP, and I would go to different hospitals' websites and look at the speech team, and it was always all white women, like some of these major hospitals. And I was just like, okay, clearly I'm not enough. I don't, I'm not white enough. You know, I'm not, right. I'm, I'm too, I'm too black. That makes sense. And so I would say it's it's less of that feeling for me now since I'm I'm in a spot where I I feel really confident. I feel like I work with people who are amazing and who cherish me for who I am as a black lesbian woman SLP. But it definitely was challenging and and trying to overcome that am I enough or do I even deserve this? Do I even deserve to be a medical SLP? So I for me and it's like real cliche, but affirmations, I talk to myself you know, Lauren, you're a great SLP. Lauren, you're a great black SLP. You're a beautiful black woman. Like telling myself all these things. And it is so cliche, but it's something about hearing yourself, tell yourself these things and you start to internalize it versus saying like, Lauren, you're not going to make it. Just give up. Like you're not going to get into medical SLP land. Just stop right now. And that shifted, you know, doing those things shifted it for me, shifted my perspective. And so I would say that was one of the most helpful things. And just keeping my eyes on the prize too. This sounds like great advice for for any SLP that's feeling like they're not enough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, like confronting it inwardly first, you know, because we're our own worst, Mm -hmm. you know, critics, right? So like looking in the mirror, because I also say that too. I'm like, you know, Hector, you're a boss ass bitch. You, know, like, you got to because I think that's a song too I mean so. yes. <laughs> what comes to mind and you know I'm gonna date myself uh, right now but it reminds me of like Stuart Smalley there was this character on this character on um saturday night live and he would look in the mirror and he would say i'm good enough i'm smart enough and gosh darn it people like me oh love and, that. Uh, I love that. it was really cute and of, you know of course he was hilarious and, and doing strange things but <laughs> whenever i hear about affirmations i think of Stuart smalley yeah. um, i love that very powerful. Yeah. yeah or like yes. little miss sunshine when she's like you know, doing her thing in front of the mirror and everything like that. But um, yeah. so you, we talked about like difficulty with feeling enoughness. Did you experience anything in the workplace that added to that feeling or was it mostly just internalized fears? I would say the majority of it was internalized. But at my last job, I like I said, I was the only SLP. I was also the only Black person in my workplace. And so 
especially like with my hair. I mean, y'all see it's big. It's beautiful. I change it. Thank you. <laughs> I change it's it. Oh, Thank you. <laughs> so like one day I might come in with box braids and they're like down to my butt. And then the next day I might have like a fro hawk. And the next day it might be orange. I mean, like I change my hair all the time. And I remember one of my white coworkers came up to me and she was like, I think you need to stop changing your hair so much. It's going to confuse your patients. And I was like, I, I, I was like, I'm at work. Right. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That made me. Just... Oh. <laughs> and I, you know, it's crazy. It's like in that moment, I don't know what I said to her. I just remember I walked back and went to my office. I was, I was fuming. And I would get so many like comments, not even compliments, just comments about my hair that to me, it was just problematic. Like, why does my hair... Right. What does it have to do with my ability to do my job? Right. Um, and I remember like we used to eat lunch together and they would make comments about people speaking AAE. So like patients that would come in and they they would, you know, be like, oh, Ugh. girl, you know, my son be talking this way and talking that way. And they would say that the patient was talking ghetto. Like it was, it, uh, was, it was just all this offensive stuff. I know. I want to stretch my hands out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it was, you know, I, I don't code switch. I typically don't code switch with like my coworkers or my supervisor, even for that matter. But I was the only black person at times. So I was like, if I speak up, I'm going to be the ghetto black girl. You know, if I mm-hmm. speak up, my supervisor is going to think I'm being rude to my colleagues. And so it was just all these different comments that again, made me feel like I just don't fit in. Like this, right. maybe I don't fit in. Like this isn't where I'm supposed to be. But again, those affirmations like, girl, you got this, you earned this, you deserve to be here just as much as the next person, the next white person. So that really helps me deal with, you know, those external factors too. Right. That's about to go off. <laughs> when people were sitting around the lunch table and talking about um, AAE, mm-hmm. did they ever sort of treat you like you were the authority on that? Like somehow you were the the one to explain it or like were you expected to do anything like that no I was very I was very to myself at my other job I mean I would I would interact with my colleagues you know we'd eat lunch together in our staff meetings but it, it was almost like I wasn't there during those types of conversations like I was present but not really if that makes sense do not pass go the microaggressions were real right right oh yeah, sounds like it. These aren't other SLPs, right? These are like other medical professionals that you're working with, right. correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. We always talk about our field, but again, pro- professionalism in it's, general is... Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not contained to our no. field. Oh, yeah. Not no. at all. So, you know, and that's the thing is like your hair, your blackness is, an you know, it's an outward physical manifestation of who you are, you know? Right. Did you get anything for being a lesbian as well on top of that? Or was it mostly just toward, you know, being black? I would, you know, it's it's funny. I would say it was more so being black. I, you know, I would talk about my wife. And of mm-hmm. course you get like the, hmm, oh, okay. Or people like my colleagues would say, you know, what does your husband do? So that same question. I would say, well, my wife is in uh, IT. And it's like that brief pause. I think people have to like process. Oh, wait, but you look straight but you actually have a wife. Mm. But then after that, I mean, it was, they would ask about my wife. I mean, my coworkers now ask about my wife, how she's doing. So 
it was like it, the blackness, I guess, was more of an issue than being a lesbian was, which is interesting to me. Right. Yeah. Because there, there are white lesbians. <laughs> yeah, a lot of my coworkers are like our age. So they're around our age. And I guess that helps sometimes with the, you know, being accepting of me being a lesbian. But I, I don't know. It's just interesting to me that the blackness was more of an issue. At least that's how it seemed to me. Oh. And that'll be our next episode, everyone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I looked in my head, I'm like, why is that? Maybe we yeah. should leave that for the next episode. Yeah. Why? As we unpack racism in the professional field. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk, you know, we're going back to some of our questions we always ask all of our um, people. What are people? Guests. Mm-hmm. Our proud professionals. <laughs> our people. You can do this, Hector. It's Sunday. So, you know, one, like, what do you consider a proud professional to be in your own experience and in your own words? What does that mean to you? So a proud professional to me is someone who is unapologetically confident in who they are and, you know, what they can provide and offer the world. And so I feel like I am a proud professional and it makes me so happy to be able to say that because it took me so long to get to this point. And so no matter what people say, no matter the circumstances that might come up, I'm always going to be true to myself and always going to stand in my truth and not let people just kind of put me down. And so I feel like being a proud professional is not just in my work life, which obviously that's important, but also in my personal life and just being true to myself in all facets of my life. Yay for me being a proud professional. Yay. Yay. (laughs) I wanted to ask, um, what are your thoughts? So you've had some experiences with potential allies that haven't quite figured, you know, like they weren't quite there on their journey, perhaps. Um, What does allyship in the workplace look like to you? So it looks like just support, not being treated differently than, you know, a straight colleague. It's, just being there like you would anyone else. And I I would have to say my current workplace, I have an amazing set of allies who are so supportive and, you know, ask about my wife and are genuinely interested in my personal growth as a clinician and just my overall personal growth. So I think as allies, it's not just saying, you know, I stand with all LGBTQ people. It's genuinely caring about LGBTQ people. And so that's what it seems like to me. I love that. That's so I love how you said, you know, your own personal growth, because often we get I don't want to necessarily call it performative activism, but there are people Mm who. eh, How do I say this? Natalie, help me out. Um, (laughs) Like there's like that face value of like saying that you are open Mm -hmm. and caring and are a great ally. But then it's it's almost like a little bit they still tokenize you they still right. you're still mm-hmm. the spokesperson for all the black lesbians in the world you know mm-hmm. like they still want to ask instead of just the all the parts of you and all the greatness right. that you bring to your field as a professional it's it's always about that like that's what you can contribute is mm-hmm. being a black lesbian versus being lauren you know like right. mm-hmm. does that make sense i don't know yeah it does <laughs> that makes classes Correct me if I'm misinterpreting this, but it sounds like going beyond just the talk and actually doing the work that Mm -hmm. it takes 
to grow and to be supportive, right? I, you right. know, I, I think that, you know, it's easy to say I support this or that. Right. And I feel like thinking about, for me, like thinking about social media, like it, it drives me crazy when people say I support this or that on social media, but mm-hmm. then they don't in their personal lives change anything. Right. Um, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the actions on a line. Yeah, it's, it's you did different. not misinterpret. It's about, it's about um, <laughs> okay. I just think, you know, it's, it's, it's more important than, you know, putting putting a post on Facebook is, is actually doing the internal work of becoming a supportive person. You got to do the work outside of Instagram. Right. One little mm-hmm. black square one time is not sufficient to denounce racism. No. <laughs> you know. Um, People really thought they were doing something, too. And I'm like, no, really you got to. Yeah. Yeah. But it's one of those things. I think true allyship is making a difference in your own pocket of the world. It's not about Mm -hmm. changing the whole world. It's about influencing those around you that you can actually make a difference with, you know, and that's how Mm -hmm. you show up. You can do that every day versus one time, once a month, (laughs) you know, whenever Mm -hmm. the next transgression happens. Next question. What are your thoughts on our field? What are your hopes for our field? moving forward when it comes to not just LGBTQ visibility, but even, you know, like people of color, you spoke about like 4% being black. Mm -hmm. What are your hopes? How do you have any ideas on how we can move forward as a field to be more inclusive? Yeah, I think, well, obviously I I would love to see the field in general be more diverse. So more black and brown people, more people who are a part of the LGBTQ plus community um, and especially more of those people in leadership roles like in ASHA. So I know the ASHA board is mostly white people, but to have, you know, black and brown people, people of the LGBTQ community making decisions for ASHA so that we can continue to make these strides forward within the field of speech pathology. To me, it is just completely unacceptable to go on Facebook or Instagram and to see a speech therapist, you know, talking about a Black student who's speaking AAE and how it's so wrong and how it's ghetto. I mean, I've seen all these, and I'm sure you guys have seen them in, like, these Facebook groups and on Instagram. It just, there's just no excuse for that. And I feel like we have to do better in our leadership roles. We have to put people in these positions that really want to see this change done. Um, and want to make it a quick change so that we can, like I said, continue to serve our patients the best way we can. So it's my hope that in the near future, we can continue to put people in leadership roles within ASHA that will want to make these changes. And hopefully, too, I mean, it starts with awareness. So a lot of people don't know about speech pathology. I know, like, in, you know, mostly Black high schools and Black middle schools, there's not a lot of career days. So like getting into these black communities and talking about speech pathology and, you know, all these different places you can work. And so that these students, uh, you know, black and brown students are aware of what's out there in terms of career options. So I feel like it starts with awareness of the field so that we have more diverse students who are interested and we can continue making speech pathology more diverse in itself. Love that. (laughs) I love it too. I've always just sort of felt like the, um, you know, this is me personally, that the professionals should reflect the population. Mm -hmm. And that we are so predominantly white 
and female, just, you know, when the United States doesn't look like that, you know, we need to somehow recruit people in to make it reflect the population. I think especially, you know, when you're talking about communication, there needs to be an understanding that communication can be different. Right. Right. I don't have the answers of how to do that, but I, I love hearing everyone's opinions on it. Right. I think, again, awareness, right? We mm-hmm. Sometimes yes. we feel like we have to find an answer. I think the more that we bring awareness to this, it, that that's that's our little work in our little mm-hmm. part of the world. Because um, thank you, Hector, <laughs> for making it okay that I don't have any answers. We don't have to have the answer. <laughs> we don't get paid to have the answer. That's yeah. all for <laughs> Truth. Any final thoughts or any message you would like to impart to either the professionals currently in our field or our baby SLPs, um, our baby queer SLPs out there? Any final thoughts? Yeah, I just want to say, you know, if you're not believing in yourself right now, just take a second, look in the mirror and tell yourself that you're amazing, that you're worth it. You deserve to be here. You deserve to take up the space that you're taking up. And even if it doesn't seem like it's going well right now, it will eventually. So keep pushing. We need you. Your future patients need you. Um, mm. We all need you. You need you. So well, just keep pushing. Yes. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> all right, Lauren. So how can people find you if they want to get a hold of you? Where are you on the, the socials besides Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> so you can find me on Instagram at speak dot from the heart. And I also have a YouTube channel geared to SLP students and that's speak from the heart. Holler. I love that. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> oh, I gotta have to check out that YouTube channel. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, Lauren, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And yeah, stay tuned for us next week or next time you hear from us uh (laughs) next time um, lauren will be joining us again as we discuss racism within the professional field but also within the lgbtq plus community thanks for having me thank you thank you for listening to this episode of the queer slp want to be featured on our instagram page or be on the show Check us out at thequeerslp.com for more information. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at thequeerslp. If you enjoyed listening, be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends, family, and colleagues. Bye! Bye.